0: Hi and welcome to another episode of Conversations About Running. Today we talk with ultra runner Tom Evans. Tom is a former captain in the British Army who turned to ultra running in 2017 when he entered the Marathon des Sables as a complete amateur and finished third. He went on to win the UTMB in Mont Blanc before finishing third in the iconic Western States 100 mile event in the following years. In 2019 Tom proved that his running talent wasn't confined to ultras when he made the GB team for the European Cross Country Championships, and then the World Half Marathon Championships the following year. In today's episode, we discuss Tom's attention to detail approach to running, his brief and successful foray into the more traditional endurance running events, and his vision for the future of ultra running. I'm Gavin Smith, and along with my co-host Callum Jones, we make up the UK-based team of running trips. Running trips are the people behind Kenya experience and training focus camps. For more information on our training camps for runners of all levels, head to our website www.runningtrips.co.uk. Now let's get straight into into today's conversation with Tom Evans. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Conversations About Running. We are delighted today to introduce Tom Evans. Tom, thanks for joining us.
1: Gav, thanks very much for having me. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing okay, thanks. Um, I would say how how is it where you are, but um, you're you're about 800 metres away from me, so I reckon I reckon it's sunny with a little bit of cloud.
1: I reckon that's exactly what it's doing. I had a disaster this morning. Left the house this morning to for, out for a dog walk and thought, oh, it looks nice and sunny and got in the car drove about 10 minutes to one of our local parks and when i when i was there it started absolutely pouring with rain i was in shorts (laughs) and a
0: t-shirt so uh Uh, where where have you been lauren was in beacon this morning
1: uh i was in bradgate this morning oh there we go um yeah so it was uh the dogs loved it i i enjoyed it to a certain extent but um yeah i wish it had been as
0: sunny as it is now is is that part and parcel of being an ultra runner just being ready for changing conditions whilst you're out and about
1: uh i think so i think it's definitely something that i'd take like i was in before before i got into running i was i was in the military and that's definitely something definitely a lesson that i brought across from being in the military to expect the unexpected and um yeah normally i'm normally i'd like to be pretty well organized and uh be ready for sort of every eventuality but this morning's dog walk was definitely not i'm sort of very much a if i'm in training and competing mode i'm in training and competing mode but if i'm not then then i'm just an i'm just a completely normal person who I mean, is, is that, is that is something very I mean,
0: is that something that actually is is part and parcel of being an elite athlete is being able to sort of switch on and switch off so that you're not constantly under that pressure of competing and training or is that something is that just a personality trait of of your own
1: i think athletes approach it in in very different ways i'm very much in the mindset that i want to do everything that i possibly can to the best of my ability whether that's with my training or with my nutrition or with my sleep and so you realize that that then ends up playing a huge part in in your life but i of take a day like today that i've got a sort of a, a rest day where all i'll do is go to the gym so for 90% of today for 23 of these hours, I, I don't want to be an athlete. I want to be able to relax. I want to be able to completely chill out because I then find it, it then becomes much easier um, when I then fully commit tomorrow. Um, but,
0: but does it still, that, does it, you say you want to not be an athlete. Does it still play on your mind that, oh, I need to do things that are still beneficial to being an elite endurance runner? Like you don't want to, you're not a slob for a day.
1: Mm. no definitely not and I, I'm still very still very active um I'll take the dogs out twice and I'll go to the gym and I'll probably do sort of a couple of a couple of other things but yeah I think it's on the days that when I'm not training sort of i sort of, yeah, train hard and recover hard and when I'm not doing that I yeah I very much like to try not to think of think of the endurance side of things um but yeah, like you say, it's because it, it can become sort of fully consuming. Sometimes it can get really hard, and I think that's when you see sort of a lot of burnout in in athletes who have been doing the sport or doing sports for a long time, not just with running. Um, who then get there and think, "Oh, actually, it's it just it has just become far too stressful, and sort of, it is just everything." So I think having having some things outside of running that have got nothing to do with running i think is for me is really important i'm not saying it's it's the way to do it
0: but for me it is um Uh, what what is that for you is that is that is that walking the dogs or are we talking a completely separate hobby that's that's unrelated to to running
1: so it's kind of got a couple of different bits and pieces i'm i'm big into my i'm big into my nutrition and i'm big into my food um and I really like cooking. I like sort of experimenting with new recipes and learning different techniques of cooking, um, which is I've sort of got really into sort of during lockdown. And uh, yeah, so that is sort of probably probably the main one. And I think as ninety percent of endurance athletes are, um, I'm very into my coffee. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's uh, those are sort of the main things. But then at home, yeah, we've got we've got two dogs, we've got chickens, we've got a tortoise. So it's quite nice to be able to sort of finish a training session come back home and go into the garden and let the chickens out and be able to completely switch off and running just seems so far away at that point. Nah. Um, so then, and it's definitely one of the, when I end up going away on a training camp, it's definitely the thing that the things that I miss the most sort of, I don't mind sort of being in a, a really hot environment or a hard training environment, sort of, I've, I embrace that and I really enjoy that. But the things that I find harder, sort of, leaving friends, family, dogs, and home life at home. Um, so I suppose with, with the last 12 months, um, with everything that's, that's been going on in the world, it's sort of, it's actually been really nice and got the, a really nice balance of how to make home like a training camp. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, which I think has been great.
0: Uh... Uh, there are there a couple of things I wanted to pick up on there, but then as soon as you mentioned coffee, I just it just kind of like <laughs> threw um, uh, me.
2: Did, did so you send an photo? Yeah,
0: I, I did. So 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 we've we've kind of we've done what we usually do here and we just jumped straight into conversation. Um let's rewind a little bit. Uh Tom. So Tom and I know each other as we both live in Loughborough. Um Callum, I don't think you've met Tom, have you?
2: No, I've never met Tom. Um oh, I right, I think sorry. the first the first time I actually, I'm going to say bumped into him, but me and you ran past him on a run um, when I was up at your place probably a couple of years ago, Gavin. We were out running around the woods and we ran past someone looking um, very speedy and he goes, do you know who that is? And I was like, who? I barely even saw, saw anyone. He goes, that's Tom Evans. And I was like, oh really? Jesus, I didn't know he lived around here. And, and then we had a little chat about we had a little chat about Tom and his trade and training and things like that. So that was the first time I. Uh, I can't. I can't v- actually. First, I
0: can't actually remember that. Like I'm not. We
2: were. We were running. I have no idea about the name of the place we were running, but it, we went for just an easy run through the woods. Um. Uh. That's that's about as good as I can describe it. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we ra- ran past him, and you you mentioned him. So that that's the first time he uh came on my radar. So <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom.
0: Um, Ed, um, just to just to. So Callum's my uh, Callum's my colleague at, uh, at Running Trips, and um, he actually ran a PB last night. So yeah, let's uh, let's just take a few seconds out to say, uh, say congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank, you, thank you, thank
2: um, you. Yes,
0: to- I, know, I know you love talking about your running, so. You've got you've got 30, <laughs> you've got thirty seconds to do the Callum Jones show, and then we're going back to the Tom Evans. Show. Yeah,
2: all right, all right. Uh, quick Callum Jones show, then. Um, yeah, so I was up in Trafford last night for um, one of the BMC races, and uh, yeah, I ran three forty-six for fifteen hundred. So nice little two-second PB for me. Um, yeah, I was very happy with that. Um, Quality,
0: amazing, great work.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, very very happy.
0: So, so we know, so we know Tom that his uh, fifteen hundred meter. Form is pretty good at the moment um, just before we went online I sent Tom a photo of my coffee and Callum's coffee but didn't tell him who made which one <laughs> and I was just going to ask Tom just to give us maybe some marks out of 10 for our uh, for our latte art obviously he, uh, obviously he can't do a taste test from afar but
1: so I think if I was uh, I think the green mug is better yeah Um. And, I think if I, and if I got served that in a cafe, I'd think it was brilliant. However, the blue one looks far more like my own latte art. <laughs> um, so I would rather drink that one. Right, like okay. Both are, Unbelievable. Both are so, I, so, in, in different ways. Yeah, so,
0: yeah what, a, what a ridiculous answer. That is sitting on the fence.
2: Yeah, we need... We need, that, is splinters, we need uh, that
0: is splinters on the bum answer, that is. Uh, okay, well, I'm taking that as a victory with the green cup being brilliant. No, no, no.
2: no, no, no. We need a first and second place, Tom.
1: Uh,
0: then I'm, kind of I'm sorry, but it is it is going to be green in <laughs> first place. <laughs> so, Tom, you mentioned you mentioned then that your like love of food and of coffee is sort of something that you sort of help to to relax and and just keep your mind off of off of hard training. Uh, is there? Yeah. I mean, I is there anything in sort of. In particular, that you've experimented with, or that you're doing really, you're really enjoying making, or any sort of new. What influences have you got in that area? And
1: so, I think for me, like it's every it, all my food choices, my nutrition choices. Yeah, food is food is fuel and food is nutrition. I think a lot of people think that there is a difference between cooking well and food and nutrition, but I'm very much along the lines of actually, you can eat really good tasty healthy and nutritious food that hits all of the goals that you need to do um in order in order for your training but also taste good at the same time so it's just something that i guess i had never really done is as you do with your training periodization uh it's very similar with my food and people a lot of people ask oh what do you normally eat in a day i'm like well it's so dependent on what training I'm doing. Um, so, uh, for example, for a day like today, that's a non, a non training day. My carbohydrate intake will be minimal.
0: Um, Deli- and, deliberately, like you will deliberately minimise it, or you're yeah. not as hungry.
1: No, I'll deliberately minimise my carbohydrate intake because
0: I don't, I don't
1: need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would up my protein intake in order to sort of help rebuild, rebuild and repair muscle but actually i don't need i don't need carbohydrate especially as an endurance athlete and an ultra endurance athlete i want to be able to be very good at using my fat stores mm-hmm. when i'm competing um and and i think when your body just gets so used to continuously having carbohydrates and a whole <laughs> mixture of carbohydrates whether that's
2: sort
1: of slow release or fast release whatever whatever you want to talk about, then it's, I think it makes a, it makes a big difference when your body actually, like I've never done a fast and I don't think I ever would do a fast. I think it's, I think it's probably possibly a a little, and I know people sit on the fence with it, but I think it's possibly a bit dangerous as a, as an endurance athlete, because I think you do need that, that food in you. But um, yeah, I think on, if you're not using carbohydrate, there's no need to replace it. If you're, if you've just filled your car up with fuel and, you don't drive it Mm. you don't need to fill it up again
0: yeah that's very interesting so have you worked with is this sort of your personal philosophy or have you worked specific with specifically with nutritionists to sort of form this no i've worked i've
1: I've worked with quite a few nutritionists and listened to listen to a lot of podcasts and i think a lot of people get very wrapped up with saying oh this is this person's a running nutritionist and Actually, I tend to find it pretty incredibly biased, but I tend to find cycling nutritionists far more relevant to ultra running, and I actually mm-hmm. think ultra running is is more similar to a Tour de France, for example, than a ten thousand meter track race. Yeah, um, just
0: just due to the volume of time that you're out out running.
1: Yeah, yeah, precisely, and you'll see. So, Team Ineos, so their heads, their head nutritionist, a uh, guy called James Morton, they will prescribe. They will do low carb rides, and they'll go for. They do might do a six hour ride, and the first four hours of it, they have zero carbohydrate. Um, and and that, yeah, and I think it's it's super interesting in seeing sort of the different adaptations that your body can make. Um, but then also doing rides where actually you are fueling properly and you are fueling it the maximum that you can. Um, And yeah, I think like with training, every training session serves a purpose and every training session serves a goal. And I think for me, it's exactly the same with my, with my nutrition and and my eating. Everything that I eat and all of my meal prep and my meal plans, they all serve a goal. Whether it's to, whether it's because I wanna drop weight eight weeks out from a race, and that's what I want to do. And I think weight, such a, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting topic because you look at other sports and with weight and, but like take cycling for example, and it's not really a taboo subject at all. or You take boxing and it's definitely not a taboo subject. Mm. You then go into running, and you mention sort of running and weight in the same sentence, and people sort of get a bit awkward about it. Yeah, so- for sure. I, I
0: guess that's because so many people have historically fallen foul of that and then potentially have been kind of misguided um like I'm thinking younger athletes and 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 I guess predominantly female younger athletes have have potentially had bad advice which has led them to underfuel with the goal of weight loss um I think that's where that sort of uh taboo subject has come from in 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 the name of running but but yeah I, I guess in, 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 in the circumstance of yourself or any other healthy adult athlete that isn't yeah isn't really relevant, is it? It's a, it's a, it's a completely different.
1: Precisely. Yeah. It's a complete, it, yes. It's the same subject, but it's, it's apples and oranges.
0: Yeah, sure. Like,
1: and so, and, and I think, and I think if you look at sort of under, under fueling, like, yes, there are times where I have been under fueled, but it will be, it will be a a very short period. It might be the end of a run or it might be a, a couple of days, but it's having that adaptability and that flexibility and making sure that you've got the right people in your corner to make sure that you are fueling enough. So whether that's you have a coach who you genuinely trust and genuinely believe in or a nutritionist or even, even your partner or, friends and family sort of saying, Oh, you're you're looking a bit you're looking a bit thin or the first thing if I'm if I'm tired and I think that I'm starting to underfuel is I get a little bit I'm a very chilled and very laid back person, but I end up getting a little bit snappy when I am tired and when I am underfueling. So it's so my fiance, it's she'll be the first person to say like chill out or or whatever. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I think having those people in
2: your corner and not being afraid to ask for <clears throat> advice from... How, how, how do you find it affects the balance between, um, let's say you are um, trying to lose a little bit of weight going into uh, a big race, for example. How do you find that balance between um, weight loss or weight maintenance and hard training? Because I've, I've found it very hard previously where if I don't get the right amount of fuel... I notice it almost immediately going into a hard session that I just can't perform at my best in a, in a hard workout. Um, so do you find there's, there's a delicate balance between, um, yeah, training and day-to-day training and getting the right amount of fuel as well? Well,
0: Sorry, Todd, could I interject to add to that? If Callum's in that situation and you've previously talked about that you've spent time becoming learning how to become fat adapted, um, do you think that also plays a part of it? Where if Callum is has never been through that process, um, that's true. Could, could that be? Could that be a reason why he feels it on such a short-term basis?
1: I think so. So if I was to Callum, if I was to not play devil's advocate, but just to ask you a, a very simple question, I guess three questions: What mm. is your metabolic? What is your resting metabolic rate? Do you know?
2: No, no idea. Absolutely yeah. no
0: idea. I wouldn't even know what units that you want an answer in there. So, I guess the thing,
1: basically, resting metabolic rate is how many calories a day your body
2: burns in order to function. So, yeah. So, like if you, if you lay there and did nothing, how many calories preci- would you burn? Precisely. So, yeah.
1: when people talk about fueling strategies and weak, and, your, and a nutrition plan, if you don't know how many calories a day your body is using to function and then using for training and everything, there is no way that you can put in a, an accurate plan for weight loss, weight maintenance, and weight gain because you might burn... In a day, you, let's say you're burning 3,000 calories, and if you're mm. only taking in... For a month, two thousand eight hundred calories, you'll probably lose a kilo, a kilo and a half, for example. Yeah. But and so people will say, "Oh, but I don't, I don't, and I don't, and you don't have to count calories." But it's sort of a, a rough idea of I. Yes, I don't count calories, but I weigh a bit of food. So I weigh any sort of carbohydrate that I take, I am weighing because that's the stuff that's actually fueling me. So I know, and people will say, Oh, uh, how much energy should I be taking in a race? It's like, Oh, well you need to have 60 grams of carbohydrates an hour. It's like, well, how do you know that? How do Mm -hmm. you know how much your body's working? Because actually if I'm, I know that if my heart rate is below 150, 150, beats a minute i am barely using any carbohydrate in order to fuel me but if i'm above that i'm then using quite a lot so i'll go to the lab a couple of times a year to get my metabolic rates done at different intensities of running so i know that if i'm doing a on a session day for example i know that if my heart rate or my effort level is above 160 beats a minute I know that I'm going to be burning this many calories and it's going to be predominantly carbohydrates. So then that's then how much I need to put back in my body. And that's how much I need to fuel beforehand.
0: It's absolutely fascinating because so, so I mean, Callum spent time at at our house. So he knows that Lauren and I take our nutrition pretty seriously as well. Um, And Lauren and I are both plant-based. So we know there are sort of certain things that we have to make sure we're getting through our diet. We have to be really careful and, but I've I've never even considered that I that I, that it's even a a thing that like oh this is a this is a this is a rest day so therefore I might need more of this nutrient versus less of that one. It, it's just been this is the overall picture of what I think I need to get, and on a daily or uh, even a um weekly basis, I'm just making sure I hit those bases. Um, but and I think how, if is if something. It's yeah, go sorry on. just really quick
1: if you look at it like your training plan and if you took a, a runner's training plan you say right on a Monday I've got a slow recovery run whatever Tuesday I've got a session Wednesday I've got a rest day Thursday I've got an easy run Friday I've got a tempo Saturday I've got an easy run Sunday I've got
0: a long run you know my schedule well and, but, but that, that's
1: <laughs> what most people's running <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> looks like and but that you plan your week like that so mm. You you how can you not plan your nutrition around mm. that because it varies. Yeah. It?
0: No, it 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 it's it, it certainly when you when you say it out loud, it certainly sounds like it makes sense. Uh, or sorry, I'm not, not sound like it makes sense. and it doesn't. But yeah, it certainly makes sense. But no, I mean my personal approach, and I think where most people are who 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 at least take an interest in in what they eat, is more just yeah you know I know I need to eat certain amounts of not certain amounts, but I know I need to eat certain nutrients but yeah but it doesn't go as far as as then i mean i certainly wouldn't like what what we have for dinner depends more on just what we had yesterday what we've still got (laughs) in the fridge what we you know what when's the next when are we next going to tesco to stock up okay we're out of we're out of lentils we better have chickpeas tonight uh what can i make with chickpeas uh there's a chickpea curry let's look in the book right yeah chickpeas we've got um yeah. Oh, we haven't oh, we have, I haven't got butternut squash. Oh, I wonder if I can do it with the, you know it's more, it's it's a bit more uh, it's a bit more hit and miss like that but then over the, over a longer term period of time it's just more have I hit certain sort of nutrients that I know I want to hit. Um, so
2: can, I, can I just quickly, sorry, ask, not, can I just quickly ask Tom how, how so how does what you've talked about there how does that change between when you've been training for ultra distances and when you've been training for say a 5k? Do you still plan it as um, sort of accurately and, and, and as detailed or is it is it different depending to be on the distance?
1: Um, for me, the I guess the only reason why I would plan more for ultra running is, yes, I care about 5Ks to a certain extent, but in reality, if I had a bad if I ran a bad 5K, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. Um, right. Whereas if and when I have bad ultra races, and because I only get to do two, maybe three ultras a year, mm. they have there's a bit more going.
2: weight on each one.
1: I've got, I've got to make them count. Um, yeah. I want to do absolutely everything that I can and leave, leave no stone unturned to perform at my best. And I think you can look at it, you can always improve. And I think so many people... And we've got into this, uh, a real cycle of people trying to achieve these marginal gains. And I think with a lot of people, there's probably a, a not quite so marginal gain that you could improve fairly easily. Um, yet we're all looking for the 1% here, 2% there. Which yep. actually, if you, sort, <clears throat> if you got your nutrition fully sorted and instead of a bit of guesswork, thinking, oh, I think we should eat this or we should eat that, actually speaking to a professional nutritionist uh, and saying right this is what my weekly schedule looks like and if they if your nutritionist doesn't say right what is your messing metabolic rate um, then I would possibly suggest that they're not the right person um, <laughs> depending on what you're trying to achieve and it will look very mm. different for are you someone who's trying to be the, the best in the world at your sport or your discipline or are you someone who runs for fun and if you're someone who runs for fun and you go to a park run twice a month um and you just go because it's fun do i recommend that you spend a lot of time and effort and stress on on your nutrition and maybe not enjoy it the whole time or or go against it but then i think the majority of our audience
0: i think the majority of our audience are smack bang in the middle of that and and they're they're serious runners They're, they're they're not necessarily elite, um, and they're you know maybe a lot like myself. Like they're not el- they're not competing at really top level, but they do want to get the best out of themselves. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely it's, de- it's very interesting. I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting this conversation to go in um in this direction to be honest. Um, but, it's, but it's, it's but that's a really interesting insight. Uh, I think uh, and,
1: and that going full circle. This is why I've got really into food because I want to make sure I'm hitting all of my nutrition goals. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm eating really nice food. It.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, on that note, do you, and you mentioned that you take a lot of inspiration more from cycling chefs. Do you know Alan Murchison?
1: I know Alan Murchison. Alan Murchison is my nutritionist. Oh, really?
0: Okay, yeah. Well, Alan, um, I used to run with Alan in Winchester. So when he was sort of mixing, running and cycling. Um, and Lauren and I got married in one of Alan's restaurants. Oh, amazing. All yeah. Right, cool. Yeah. Alan, Alan, uh, Alan catered our, our wedding. It was, yeah, pro- to this day, it was definitely the tastiest nine meals I've ever eaten.
2: You had uh, a sports nutritionist cater for you at your wedding.
0: I mean, at that point, he was um, a
2: <laughs> double Michelin-starred chef, as opposed to right. a double
0: Michelin-starred chef who loved elite athletics and elite right. cycling. And I I believe he then went on to be Gwen Jorgensen's personal chef. for. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, do you know? Do you know Gwen Jorgensen, Callum? No. So she won the Olympic try in um, Rio, and has then been training as a marathon runner since then. With um, with oh, with, with with the contra- yeah, with the controversial bowman. Uh, right. <laughs> I think she's left them recently. Actually, uh, I, I do this. I do say that with a pinch of salt. We're not going down that. Uh, we we we've done the bowman. <laughs> we've done the bowman thing before. We're not going down that route again ah, um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. So do you do you follow a lot of his particular recipes or does he send you certain things to
1: Yeah, it's a a real a real mixture. it all geez, it, it all depends what we're what we're trying to achieve. Um and Alan's a huge into the periodization of food. Um so yeah, I think it's it's a great it's a great um yeah, it's a great relationship that we have and um yeah, it's so the, long. The, long way continue. Yeah, no, that's
0: fantastic. The, the only, hopefully, I'll we'll get Alan on the podcast uh, one day. I don't, yeah, that, that's a good idea. I'll have to send him a message. But um, the, the only time I've ever been disappointed by Alan's cooking is we, so we went we, we went round his house. Um, this is again when we used to live in Winchester. For uh, it just invited us round, sort of after training dinner, um, and we all had it in our minds that we were going to have dinner at a Michelin star, a, a double mm. Michelin star chef's house. And it was just like, oh, what's he going to do? Are you going to have like this nine course taster menu again? Or is it going to be that? And uh, he, he was very much off the clock. And we just had some sort of couscous salad. Uh, and to be fair, it was still delicious. But um, yeah, we'd gone in we'd gone in thinking Alan was at work, but Alan was at home. Uh,
2: in, um, <laughs>
0: it, yeah, in in non-chef mode. Uh so yeah chicken chicken
2: nuggets and chips
0: yeah it wasn't yeah he was (laughs) very uh, much into fueling uh, athletes so i do want to move on from nutrition but tom uh, this might take us in in another direction anyway so this is absolutely fascinating but I, i have had conversations with very high level athletes as well who have had a very different approach to you not that they're not interested in nutrition but that it's been very much a sort of will I eat until I'm full? And I know I've had enough because, you know, like it just basically a far less, a far less analytical approach. And I'm just wondering is again, is that, is that a focus on detail and analytics that you, that you take in other aspects of life and trading? Or is that something that's particular to nutrition?
1: No, I think for me, it, it really, it carries into everything. And, I think the, for me, the really interesting thing with, with ultra running that I guess I, I, yeah, I prefer ultra running to, to, I say normal running, um, is, is being able to be that analytical with so many different things because each race is so different and it takes a different amount of, a different style of training for it. Whereas if you're running a marathon, if you're running London and Berlin, the training probably looks fairly similar um, because the courses are, yes, they're in different locations, but they're broadly similar. And you, if it's going to take you two hours and 30 minutes in London, it might take you two hours and 27 minutes in Berlin, but an ultra marathon, you could have a hundred kilometer race that takes you seven hours, but you could also have a hundred kilometer race that takes you 14 hours. Hmm. Um So, yeah, I think sort of leaving my approach of leaving no stone unturned, doing absolutely everything that I possibly can in order to be as well prepared on the day. I think physically, I think it helps me, um, but then I think mentally it helps even more so that I could be still on the start line, possibly feeling a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious, but actually I can stand there and say, like, actually, I've put absolutely everything into this performance and I've given myself the best chance to be as successful as i possibly can be people can do things in so many different ways and for me even if i'm doing a a 5k or a half marathon i'm still taking a a fairly similar approach i think it probably stems more so from a from a military background rather than a yeah
2: sporting i was going to touch on that yeah i was going to touch on that and, and that's that's kind of what i was wondering if if it's if for you this is something that you've um you kind of forced and created as a result of training or if that's kind of the, the type of person you are if you know what i mean
1: i think uh, dude i think it's a, a real mixture of mm. sort of
2: my growing up
1: as well as who i am sort of as a person um yeah so yeah but I, and i think do. So i have i have tried doing it in different ways but for me that so i'm very i like having structure and I need to sort of plan my day out, and so I need to have timings, and there are lots of athletes who may say, oh, yeah, today I've just got an easy 10 miles. I might, yeah. do, it nine. I might do it at 9, I might do it at 11, I might do it at 3. I'm very yeah. much a, right, I'm going to run it at 8, I'm going to be finished at 10 past 9, and then I'm going to have yeah. my breakfast, which I've already prepared, and then I'm going to put my recovery boots on for 40 minutes i'm then gonna have a nap <laughs> i'm very i need that structure yeah um, sure so the,
0: the the interesting thing thing that just came to my mind there was just think thinking of the contrast in in approaches um is the one athlete who i've seen have the opposite approach to you there tom has been uh, mo uh, in kenya um, yeah and when lauren was managing um hatc uh and the british team was staying there uh some of the other athletes were much more aligned with your approach and the training was set to start at eight so therefore it was going to be at eight um and mo was I, I, i'm making the times up because i can't remember what the actual time time of day was but mo was sat in the lounge having a coffee uh and everyone everyone the, i'm not going to name the other athletes just in case they don't want me talking about them um but other other athletes were almost getting quite stressed and like mo was training starting and mo's just like sat there in his track suit, not even remotely ready he's like yeah we're gonna i'm just gonna go a bit later um and i to say to, to some people it, it really agitated them and it really seemed to then affect how they trained and 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 yes i guess they were much more perhaps they're a bit closer to you to your approach but because it was mo um it, he got to have the final say and that then influenced how other people trained. And Mo was just like, no, it's, I don't like it. I'm not ready. The weather's not right. I'm waiting until later. Don't worry about it. Um,
1: yeah. And I, I think, I think that can be really healthy. And definitely, if I've like, I I monitor my sleep and, and if I've not slept very well, and I was planning on going out in the morning for a, a harder uh, session, then I might change and I might be a little bit more flexible, but I think having the, for me, having that structure there, having structure doesn't mean it's completely set in stone things still can change. I think that element of flexibility is, is so important, but I think for me having that general structure, uh, yeah, is, is essential. Otherwise I'd just do absolutely nothing.
0: And then I really would (laughs) bum about for a whole day. So this talking about preparation and no stone unturned and knowing every last bit about race prep and, and everything, um, I yesterday read through the article that Sky Sports News did on you um, last year, Tom. um, And you were quoted as saying, I haven't written down the whole quote, I've only written down the important bit. Um, But essentially, you'd said you were really looking forward to the British champs um, because it was going to give you on the track, uh, because it was going to give you a chance to test yourself over 13 and a half laps. Um, So I was just wondering, how how many laps is, is a 5K on the track, Tom? Not that I, I still I still, I,
1: still, I know it's wrong. I think it's twelve and a half now. Yeah. But, uh
0: So all that all that prep for a hundred, all that prep for a hundred mile race, and knowing every turn and, 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 and every he's got to run,
2: and he's run five point four k. Yeah. And, uh, not it, ideal, is, but is, uh, is that
0: is that a misquote, or did you potentially go into that race? Are you you know, were you so inexperienced at that distance of race that you actually went into that not not knowing how far you had to run? Oh, it was my first ever five k on the track. <laughs> <laughs> so how? So how, I mean, how did that whole? How did that whole year come about? Because I say you, 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 you burst. You essentially burst onto the scene, at least in the mainstream. Um, I think when you came third at um, Western States. I, I know you'd done other high level races before, but I think yeah. that's when people started to kind of say, "Hang on, who's Tom Evans?" and and what's he doing because because west did west, sorry i'm going to rewind a little bit did western states come before or after you trained in ethiopia
1: uh after okay just i, I trained western states in
0: ethiopia okay so then what i just said is exactly correct for me because i saw you in like saw you online uh in ethiopia um and i was kind of thinking i don't know who this guy is like he's clearly Training like really seriously, and he's training with these top athletes in in Ethiopia. Um, yeah, and then next time I know you're you're finishing third in 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 sort of one of the most. I don't know. Is that the most prestigious ultra race, or one of, or is it sort of top? Top yeah, category.
1: It, it, yeah, it would definitely be top category.
0: I'd say I would
1: say it probably is the most prestigious race. It's probably the race that I want to, if I could only ever win one race, it would.
0: It would be Western States.
1: Okay, um, it, it, it's
0: sort of it's the it's the New York Marathon of, of marathon running. Yes, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. There the, the are it's in the same category as your Boston and your London and your Berlin, but maybe it's just a little bit more prestigious worldwide.
1: Yes, that's okay. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to describe it.
0: So I say you you sort of burst onto the scene as it were at that point, um, and then almost out of nowhere, you then turned your attention to much shorter races and as you sort of called them I think you referred to it earlier inverted commas normal running but if we call it sort of standard distance traditional distance running how how and why did that come about and and what was your general experience as sort of a brief foray into sort of the elite elite world of, of sort of 5k to marathon running
1: yeah I guess so I've always I've always enjoyed cross-country um, and I've always I was in before moving to Loughborough, I was I was in Sussex, so would always race the Sussex County Champs, probably since 20, 2017, maybe. Um, and really enjoyed it. And after Western States, so in summer 2019, I got a little bit of a niggle um, and I was getting the niggle sort of after 80, 90 minutes of running. So I thought, actually, right, for the next for the next block, let's change things up and let's. It wasn't affecting me if I was running quick, um, or quicker anyway. Um, so I thought right, let's let's change this up and let's run a little bit shorter, but maybe a little bit faster. Um, and it it, sort of, it just kind of made sense. Like right, I'll just I'll train for, I'll train for cross country. Um, and with a little bit of an eye on qualifying for European cross country champs. Um, and. Yeah, ended up finishing uh, fourth, fourth at Liverpool, um, and qualified for for eurocross um, And I think so for me that was the re- and that was about three and a half months after running a hundred mile race. Um, so for me that was sort of my first sort of yeah my first sort of real exposure of competing at a higher level for a shorter distance. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, kind of from there. Sort of that was that was really good fun, and that was twenty nineteen, and then twenty twenty. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to race hundred k in New Zealand at the beginning of the year. Um, but then yeah, well, we obviously then had the the twenty twenty that uh, that everyone knows, and not being able to travel and not being able to go abroad to race um, or. Like yes Loughborough is great for running and I love running here but I drive a lot to to train I'll drive to the Lake District or the Peak District a couple of times a week um to train and I wasn't able to do that so I thought right let's just really focus on what I can focus on and get back to the the short things because it's something that I've never really done I've never had the time to because I've just jumped straight into ultra running I've never trained for a fast 5k or a half marathon or, or anything like that. So yeah, it was just a great opportunity to, to be able to do some, some faster running. So sort of teamed up with, uh, Andy Hobdell at this point and was running with Kev Seawood, uh, and Frank Baddock. Um, yeah, which was, which was great. And it was so nice to have sort of a little bit of a group, um, especially sort of during, during lockdown. So when we were allowed to train with, with other people, um, yeah, ended up sort of running a running a 5K, podium 5K, and ran um yeah, ran a good time there, and it was just so I, I was happy with the time so 13.42, but I think I could have, had I run it differently, I was very cautious, because I didn't mm-hmm. really know what was going to happen, and so I was sort of forever going through the field, and I kind of wish I'd start that a little bit harder and try to hang on, but who knows what would have happened? So Yeah, yeah I think it was, it was a great experience and it was great fun. Um, and yeah, from there, sort of, that sort of led to then sort of racing a half marathon uh, in Ireland at the Antrim Coast Half Marathon. Um, and then I was then, yeah, fortunate enough to be selected for the British team at the Half Marathon World Championships. Um, and yeah, and that sort of kind of, sort of taken, me to, Is this- taken me to here
0: is that done and dusted and behind you or is that sort of put a seed in your mind that you can compete, um, at at the top level in, in those, in those events?
2: Um,
1: I enjoy it, but it's not, I would say that sort of, for me, that's a bit more of a hobby than, uh, what I really want to do. Um, I've got no real, yeah, I've got no real ambition. Yes. I'd love to run a quick marathon. Um, but if I had the choice of running a quick marathon or winning Western States, mm-hmm. uh, I would definitely pick Western States. Um, so yeah, I think it's nice to be able to do some of the fast uh, stuff. And whether I sort of do any cross country this year, um, I might do, but it will have to. It will all depend if it fits in with mm. with the old string. But actually, it's running is running at the end of the day, and.
2: I might use a cross country race as a, as a good session. Um, Just as what I was about to touch on, actually running is running. I was just going to say, you said you would um, obviously your main focus and main goal is Western States. Um, But how do you feel like the, so if you do drop down and start training for a 5k or training for a marathon, for example, um, I mean, surely that training block is, is almost taking away from the training that you would, would typically be doing for, for Western States or for ultra running in generally. Um, or, or do you feel like yes, like you just said, running is running, and you feel like that, that the training for a five k or a, or a or a marathon does contribute well to uh, the same style to, of training. For to, to some
0: extent, Callum, there must be there must be a lot of individual basis on that, and obviously we're going to let um, Tom give a, a comprehensive answer. But the first thing that popped into my head there was Sifan Hassan, and um, I know she, yeah, and I know she competes at an elite level from fifteen to ten k. But I'm pretty sure if she decided she wanted to do well and half marathon, but I'm pretty sure if she decided to race the 800 at the Olympics, she could have qualified and been competitive. And yeah, I'm pretty sure if she decided to do the marathons, I, mean, I think to some extent, I think, certain athletes have just got an incredible range. But
2: yeah,
0: I, but I, I, I do get your point. We're asking now a massive difference between 100 yeah. miles and three miles. So yeah, sorry, Over- massive stop.
2: difference, and and also it, also it's more that. Um, you know when when you're at that level you want to put everything into the into your main focus and you know if you're if you're dropping down to train for a for a shorter distance like yes you can kind of get away with it but does that take away um you know a, a, a small percentage that you would have otherwise got from focusing wholly on western states for example
1: i think possibly physically a little bit but i think what i find with the with the longer ultras is yes it's obviously physically difficult but it's mental it's a your i think mental strength becomes such a a way more important factor just that that ability to be able to to suffer but for an extended period of time rather than that ability to suffer in the last kilometer of a 5k um so i i do think i do think that that actually helps um and I think it's also, it's also being able to read the situation, be able to read the environment and sort of get a little bit sort of, of a smarter racing brain and the ability to be able to practice race day nutrition or race day tactics or your race day warm-up and things. I, like I said earlier, I only get the opportunity to do that once or two, maybe three times a year if I'm just training for ultramarathons but actually if I did a summer of five Ks, you might get to do that six or seven times. So your experience is you're becoming a way more experienced and a way more rounded athlete. And what,
0: what's the typical approach amongst your sort of, well, amongst the world-class ultra runners. What, what did, how do they approach it? Are they very much specialists or do they also compete in, in shorter distances?
1: I think it, it varies massively between Europeans and Americans. Um, Typically, the Europeans are trail runners and ultra runners in the summer and cross-country skiers and ski mountaineers in the okay. winter, whereas the US approach is a little bit more like mine, I guess, where they will drop down and they'll race some shorter distances, um, sort of 10K, half marathon, marathon, perhaps. Um, but, yeah, I'd say predominantly it's probably more of a, a winter sports um thing and actually they've just announced that the winter olympics in 2026 uh in cortina that ski mountaineering is is an olympic sport which is basic ski mountaineering is basically trail running on skis okay um so perhaps perhaps i may not do cross-country
0: running for the (laughs) next couple of winters
1: and i might try that for for the winters
0: well Um, that that leads us. One of the things we have jotted down here before before we discussed is just to ask you: Should ultra running be an Olympic event? Um, and if not, how far away do you think it is from that? And what are the reasons, perhaps in favour and against it? So I know that's I, kind of a multifaceted question, but just very very interesting to get your take on that.
1: I think. I don't know. I'm in. I'm in two minds about it. Ultra running is such a different. I suppose because it's not as far as marathoning, and I think if you look at it sort in the marathon way, yes, in the marathon, if you're running London, yes, it is very. It's similar but different from Elliot Kipchoge racing compared to my mum racing, for example. But they're still running the same distance. They're going over the same course, but they're having a very different experience. I think. That's broadly similar with ultra running. Yes, you're still still on the same start line, but actually your goals are very different. So there's a lot of people in ultra running who like the purity of it, who don't like the professionalism of it and don't like that it is turning into a professional sport and that people think that it could be an Olympic sport. And for me, in my honest opinion, I I think that it should be an Olympic sport. I think that it hits all of the ethos of the olympics um and i think people would get people would get really into it Mm. i'm not people say people say oh i wouldn't sit there and watch watch a sport for that long but actually if you look at the cycling road mm. race that was six and a half hours and yes i think the the difficult thing for it is is commercializing
0: it and televising it um in terms of access like like it's on a difficult terrain and things you mean
1: precisely yeah um because actually do you really want to be doing it can't be on the roads you can't really have a you can't have a car or a motorbike filming you so then it then becomes pretty difficult to to follow along so i think that's the only that's Mm. the only thing that's really holding
0: it back um so this this next this next question is very much founded in my ignorance of, of ultra running so this is not in any way meant to be insulting although it potentially is going to come across it like that um, is it elite enough in a worldwide sense to be considered a an olympic potential event
1: yeah I, it's a, it's a really good question i think the the answer is yes and i think that if it was given the opportunity to be an olympic sport I think that it would become more elite. But having said that, at the moment in the UK, well, in Loughborough, I do not class as an elite athlete. Um, yeah, sure. In terms of accessing the, the other side. According facility. to British Athletics, according to my yeah, national sure. governing body, I am not yeah. an elite athlete. Having mm-hmm. competed for for Great Britain at uh Cross-country, road, mountain running, and trail running,
0: and won medals at trail running world championships. Right, but because you're not in an Olympic event, you're not eligible for funding. You're not eligible for medical support. You're not precisely for this, that, and the other. Okay,
1: precisely. Yeah. So it's not a. So in I guess in pure. On on paper, no, it's not. It's not elite. But as of this year, it is. As of December, it is it is becoming elite. The World Championships becomes a major championships.
0: Okay. So, it, so in theory, um, and, and under World Athletics, like it's it will be run by the same people. It'll, as be, yeah, it'll,
1: be, it'll be run by IWF Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which is really exciting. So, the, so the, the, the professionalisation of the sport is it is getting more professional. Um, and if you look at British Athletics lottery funding policy it's the ability to win medals at major championships and Olympics. Mm. So in theory, as of November the 11th this year, trail running is a major, it's a major event. So mm-hmm. in theory, as of next year, if you have the ability to win medals at the trail running world championships, mm. you can be on funding.
0: And in line with what you said earlier about how some people in the sport like the fact that it isn't under these, under the, under the sort of guidance of, of these bodies, is, is, that, is that something controversial in the ultra world that the IAAF are almost taking ownership of an event that hasn't previously been theirs?
1: And, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I think the really difficult thing is because ultra running at the moment doesn't really have a, it doesn't really know where it sits. Some national governing bodies are really good with it. So the Spanish, for example, trail running is a, is a major sport for them. But there is no global organising committee um, so how do you know, so you take a, a race week, any weekend, there might be four high profile ultra events being run by different companies, different organizers who don't speak, who don't sort of deconflict timings and events for different weekends. So you might have the top 10 athletes in the world all of them at different events on the same weekend. So how do you know who Mm. you can't race against the best? So for me, I think by having a global organising committee, you're able to race against the best people, make the races more competitive, therefore make it more, not more elitist, but have a better standard of racing at the top level and make it more exciting for people watching it.
0: And and I think in turn that then makes it easier for someone like myself who is a massive athletics fan but doesn't really follow ultra almost for the reason that you've just said that I don't really understand the structure. It's very difficult for me to say, oh, this guy's the best. This guy's, this guy's, yeah, medalist in this because the events are all just independent. Precisely. Mm. So uh, we are going to respect your time, Tom, and not keep you too much longer. But the the obvious follow-up question to the, to the line that we're currently on, especially considering sort of that Kalamani's podcast often talks about Kenyan runners and, and the African influence, um, yeah. where where does that stand currently with ultra running, um, and where do you see it going in the future? And and is it as simple as they're incredible at marathons, so it's naturally going to follow they're going to be incredible at ultra? Um, or in your opinion, is is it is is there something another? Yeah, yeah, or, or not essentially.
1: It's it's such a great question, and you can see you can see it with with non-Africans as well. Just because you're a good marathon doesn't mean you're going to be a good ultra-distance or trail runner. Um, I think the the real difference, the I guess, of the two big differences to me is one the mentality and that ability to not know how long necessarily you're going to, you're going to be out for, and all of those unpredictable factors. So the weather and the altitude that you go up to, the uneven surface under your feet that you have no control on. Whereas with a marathon, actually, if you're racing Berlin, it's it's pretty standard. Yes, mm-hmm. the weather can change, but you know it's going to change. And you can say, right, on this section, we're going to have a headwind. Um, and then secondly, I think just, just general robustness. And so sort of typically you would see trail runners, because you're going downhill very fast, typically sort of bodies are slightly, yes, there are no bodies that are the same, but typically sort of fairly quad, quad Mm -hmm. quad quad-dominant. And that having that muscle mass and that ability to absorb that shock when you are running downhill, Um, there are, there are quite a few African athletes who are competing in mountain running sort of in the shorter trail races. Um, and do do incredibly well, um, but yeah, not so much in the longer races. Like I think it's not. I think it is quite an expensive sport, and you see some mm. of the prices of some races, and I can't believe how expensive they are, and the kit and equipment that you need, sort of, in order to be able to perform. Yes, yeah, uh, so, so there's, there's a barrier to, to entry that doesn't exist. Precisely. Then. Yeah, mm. exactly. I guess it's sort of. I see. It's it very. I think it's probably on par with sort of iron man triathlon mm-hmm. you need think it's quite expensive to enter you need quite a lot of stuff to enter and yes there's obviously nothing as expensive as a bike but you need that yeah you need to be able to to fund it and i think at the moment there it just isn't really that option for for all athletes um
0: is it is that is that something you feel is potentially holding the sport back from from sort of a bit more sort of mainstream attention? Um, and final question then from me, are there... I mean, you, you say there's big barriers to entry, but are there any teams that are kind of taking a chance on sort of unknown, inverted commas, um, in the ultra world runners? Because the my understanding at least, is that the financial incentives to do well are very much in place. Like, yes, there's an expe- yes, there's an, there's an upfront expense, but actually being a successful ultra runner is a, um, a viable career option. Like when you yeah. put it up against being a, an elite marathon runner.
1: Yeah, I think, so answering the first question, do I think it's holding the sport back? No, I don't think it's holding the sport back, but I think if participation in sort of <laughs> The ability to race was made better, then I think it would move the it would move the sport forwards. Um, if that makes sense, I think it's it's okay where it is, but I think it could be better if it was better. Mm. Um, if that makes sense, I guess if similar to Ironman triathlon, so many people watch that, so many people compete in that, but still barriers to entry are still not uh, not the easiest. And second yeah, question, sure. sort of financial, yes, but not so much from race winnings um there is no there is no money you are not paid there's no appearance fees there's no hardly any prize money um and it's of the financials end up sort of coming from private sponsors oh really Um, okay yeah there's no winning winning western states i finished third at western states and i was probably including training camps and staying out there for the race i was probably five six grand out of pocket Um, (laughs) okay
0: because i because i got
1: for finishing third i got
0: zero dollars okay yeah so try try and sell try and sell to say a 206 kenyan runner that he should put half a year of training into an event that he's going to get paid nothing for precisely isn't yeah okay well tom um callum we're going to leave it. Um, Callum did have some great questions he wanted to ask you about the mentality and, and of the differences in the psychological approach um, with the shorter races and the longer races. And maybe that's something we can visit um, another time in the future. Um, Cause yeah, we spent, it was fantastic to talk to you about all the nutritional stuff, but yeah, we did, we did spend a little bit longer <laughs> yeah. than that than we realized. So yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully if you if, if, if this hasn't been, if you've enjoyed it, maybe some point down the line, we can have another chat and focus on the, uh, the, the, the mental side because so I think that would be something really interesting to, to to talk about as well. Um, yeah, I'd love to. Fantastic. So, where can people? My best guess is that most people listening to this podcast are already fans fans of yourself. Um, but for those who aren't familiar uh, with you, where can people sort of follow along with what you're up to, and where where can they learn more about you?
1: Uh, probably the best place is on on Instagram. Um... My Instagram name is Tom Evans Ultra. Um, I have got a bit of a YouTube channel that I am keep saying that I'm going to do more on, but I haven't yet. Um, so, yeah, probably Instagram for now, and then uh, we'll see from there.
0: That's great. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Callum, have you got any any final?
2: Yeah, no, like like you said, I, I was uh, quite keen to tap into some of the uh, mental aspects because it's something that... Um me and my coach have been speaking about a lot recently uh, as well. So I was quite interested from a personal perspective, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, be great to have you back on at a future date and we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail on that. Um, that, That'd be amazing. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. I was, uh, I was kind of just sat back listening to a lot of it. So uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, Yeah. Really enjoyed it. All
0: right. No
2: guys. Thanks so much. It was great fun. Yeah. Cheers, Tom.
0: Really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank
2: you, Tom. Cheers guys. Okay. Bye now. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening for conversations about running and thanks to Tom for taking the time to speak to us today. You can follow Tom's journey on his Instagram at Tom Evans Ultra. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend or two who also loves running and help us spread the podcast further. Our thanks as always go to Sockany who support our work at training focus camps. If you want to learn more about our training camps, you can head to www.runningtrips.co.uk where you'll find all the information about our UK-based training focus camps, as well as Kenya experience, the ultimate running holiday in Aten, Kenya. Hi, I'm Gavin Smith and welcome to Conversations About Running. Today, myself and Callum are joined by Coach Hugo Vandenbroek, live from Aten, Kenya. Hugo is a regular guest on the podcast and we're delighted that he joins us again today. Hugo is head coach at Kenya Experience, an accomplished coach of both Kenyan and international runners and a 2.12 marathon man himself from his own competitive days. Today we catch up with Hugo about a range of topics including his views on the recent Olympic Games where his friend Abdi Nagai took the silver medal in the marathon. We also question whether the games were a success from a Kenyan perspective and delve into the psych- psychology, the financial implications and wider social issues which may affect Kenya's success at the games. Callum in addition, Callum recaps us on his late on his <coughs> Callum also recaps us on his latest races and it, as well as his future plans. And Hugo welcomes a new arrival to the Vandenberg clan. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. Running Trips are the people behind the Kenya experience and training focus camps. For more information on our training camps for runners of all levels in Kenya and the UK, visit www.runningtrips.co.uk or see us on Instagram at Running Official. To learn more from Coach Hugo, you can join our If you want to learn more from Coach Hugo, he will be leading the coaching team at our, at our Kenya Experience Camps in ten. with the next camp in December this year. Alternatively, you can follow him on Instagram by searching for Hugo Vandenbroek. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back for another episode of Conversations About Running soon. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. Today's guest is Kevin Seward. Kevin is a two-time Olympic marathon runner, having competed for Ireland in both the Rio and Tokyo Games. With a 2.10 marathon PB, Kev can count himself amongst the finest marathoners in Europe. But what's different about Kev is that he's also a full-time teacher. Kev, or should that be Mr. Seward, describes himself as an educator first and a runner second. And in today's podcast, we discuss various aspects of competing as an elite athlete whilst balancing a career as an assistant principal a career that Kev takes just as seriously as his running. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with two-time Olympian Kevin Seward. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Running, the podcast by Running Trips. Running Trips are the people behind Kenya Experience, the ultimate running holiday in Attend Kenya and training focus camps a weekend of high-performance coaching for runners of all levels in the UK. To learn more about Kenya experience or training focus camps, check out our website at www.runningtrips.co.uk or follow us on Insta by searching for Running Trips Official. Thanks for listening and happy running. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. Today, Callum and I are joined by regular guest, coach Hugo Vandenbroek. Hugo is head coach at our Kenya Experience Camps in Aten, as well as coaching elite athletes in India, Kenya and across the world. During this episode, the three of us explore a range of topics sent in by our listeners. Of course, we go off on tangents, share anecdotes and our own experiences along the way. But the main topics for discussion include training as a master's athlete, strength and conditioning for runners, and comparing the lifestyles and attitudes of the highest performers with those of amateur athletes. So sit back and have a listen to three runners and coaches discussing all things running on Conversations About Running. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Running, the podcast by Running Trips. Running Trips are the people behind Kenya Experience, the ultimate holiday for runners in a ten Kenya, and training focus camps, a weekend of high-performance coaching for runners of all levels in the UK. To learn more about Kenya experience or training focus camps, check out our website at www.runningtrips.co.uk or follow us on Insta by searching for Running Trips Official. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Your positive reviews help us to spread the podcast to a wider audience. Thanks for listening and happy running. Hi, I'm Gavin from Running Trips, and this is our podcast, Conversations About Running. Today, Callum and I are joined by Simon Hallahaugen, a 5,000 metre runner from Norway. Simon is 23 and has a 5,000 metre PB of 1337 which is still 10 seconds slower than his family record, which was set by his grandfather, who also finished seventh at the 1972 Olympic Games in Munich. Today, we chat with Simon about the Norwegian training system, which is very different to how many endurance runners are used to training, and has become increasingly popular since the rise of the Ingebrigtsen brothers. Simon talks us through both the what and the why of double threshold days, and provides us with some incredible insight into this unique way of training. This is part one of our chat with Simon haller Thanks for listening to part one of our chat with Simon. We'll be be back with part two shortly. And in the meantime, you can check out Simon's Instagram, which is at Simon Haller. Conversations About Running is the podcast from Running Trips. We are the people behind Kenya Experience, the immersive running camp in Iten, Kenya, as well as training focus camps, weekend training camps for competitive runners of all levels. For more information, please visit www.runningtrips.co.uk where you can learn all about Kenya Experience and Training Focus Camps. Thanks for listening and happy running. Hello and thanks for joining us for another episode of Conversations About Running. This is the podcast from Running Trips, the people behind Kenya Experience and Training Focus Camps. Training camps for runners of all levels. To learn more about us and what we offer, head to our website at www.runningtrips.co.uk. Today, we are joined again by Simon haller for part two of our discussion with the Norwegian Distance Star on all things Norwegian running, and in particular, the double threshold system. If you haven't listened to part one yet, then I'd recommend you check that, check that out first before listening to today's episode in order to give yourself a detailed grounding in the fundamentals of the double threshold system. In today's episode, we delve deeper into exactly how you implement double threshold, pitfalls pitfalls to avoid, and look at where the system came from in the first place. Callum discusses his experience of training in Norway under this system, and we also ask the all-important question of does it actually work? Thanks for listening to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. Running Trips are here to bring you the world's best training camps, Our camps include Kenya Experience in the 10 Kenya, where we combine a training camp with a cultural immersion into the world of Kenyan running, and training focus camps, UK-based weekends for competitive runners of all levels who want to learn from world-class experts in small groups at high-performance venues. To learn more about our training camps or opportunities to work with our coaches remotely, please visit www.runningtrips.co.uk or see us on Instagram at runningtripsofficial.